The Business Buzz Podcast. The, the Business Buzz. Good day and welcome to the Business Buzz for your weekly dose of business, finance and economics news right here on Voice of Vits. Uh, that's VOW FM 88.1 broadcasting live from our studios in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. My name is Mlio Mob, Justice Gavaza, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. Who's to say that the world of business can't be entertaining? Definitely make sure you hold on to your seats as we seek to unpack and uh, keep you entertained, educated and intrigued about the world of business, commerce and economics so for today's show we're going to be talking about um you know understanding you know uif um there are some uh, benefits some relief uh, that the government has been offering um through the uif because of the covid19 um because of covid19 and that's what we're going to be exploring uh, because that's as say recently published the results of a new survey so focusing on how the coronavirus pandemic has impacted uh, operations of south african businesses and they found that a total of 707 uh, businesses in the formal sector uh, responded saying that in the two-week period from uh, the 30th of March um, to about 13 April, um, they were outlining uh, the pandemic's impact on turnover, trading, um, workforce, imports, exports, uh, purchases, prices, and business survival. And it was actually estimated that more than a third of South African businesses plan to cut jobs um, because of the coronavirus. So today we're going to be looking at um, unpacking uh, the unemployment insurance fund, um, the labor policies around it, um, the legalities um, in filing a claim together with how it's being used um, to offer some relief uh, to the public. So to help us to un- uh, navigate this topic, we are going to be talking to uh, Dumisan Indiweni, who is an associate at Weber Winslow, uh, as well as uh, the shadow minister of labor from the democratic alliance that is uh, dr michael cardo and we're also going to be uh, we're going to be talking to them about um, unemployment the employment issue um, labor related policies and matters uh, together with the, the law considerations regarding uh, the uif that is the unemployment insurance fund so that's how the show is going to be looking like for today also coming up uh, for the next hour we're going to be giving you the business wrap that's a part of the show where we give you a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news and also followed by uh, the state of your 100 rand in our buffalo index remember that you can find and uh, follow voice of vits uh, that's vowfm 88.1 on social media um, our facebook page is vowfm or voice of vits and then our other facebook page is vits radio academy on twitter we're at vowfm and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz you can also stream the station live on vowfm.co.za and remember that podcasts of the business buzz show are available on uh, vits.journalism.co.za forward slash business um that's the hub for our content together with um uh, the streaming platforms where you can search uh, on iono.fm apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you choose to listen to your podcast so that's how the rest of the hour is going to be looking like definitely make sure you don't turn that dial on the other side of this we get into the business wrap business wrap with lebo pasha 
It's time for us to get into the week's top trending business and economics news. And on the line, we are joined uh, by Lebo Pasha, who is a business strategist and general manager for Southern Africa at the African Management Institute um, to give us uh, the week's uh, business wrap. Lebo, how are you? How are things uh, since we last spoke? I'm good, Modiwa. Greetings to you and greetings to the listeners as well. Um, I'm good. I think um, there's some positivity in a very, very negative sort of year where lots of things are not going as planned. Yeah. Okay. I think, uh, you know, in terms of the rap itself, uh, you know, I guess the most immediate news is uh, what happened with uh, interest rates yesterday, the MPC coming out, and uh, I think they reduced interest rates by a further 50 basis points. Can you just give us some color on that? Yes. um, The Monetary Policy Committee of the Reserve Bank um, voted to reduce the repo rate for a fourth time this year, so from 4.25% to 3.75%. So um, we're starting to see a lot of emails um, from banks going out, basically telling their clients that the prime lending rate has also fallen um, from 7.75 to 7.25. So that's some good news that we've received. And I think um, the hopes are that the rate cut will provide some sort of relief to indebted consumers, indebted South Africans. So if you've got a bond on your house, if you've got car finance or personal loan or credit card, um, this will hopefully ease some of that burden for you and hopefully also get people to spend a bit more and stimulate growth in the economy or or try and reverse the negative impacts of um, COVID-19 and the ratings downgrade. For people that might not fully understand, uh, when we reduce interest rates, uh, you know, why would uh, the MPC want to do something like that? So basically, what what happens when you reduce the interest rates is, um, in simple terms, it, it it reduces the debt rate or, or or the credit lending rate that people are paying interest on on their loans. So what that would do is that would mean you now have an extra four or five hundred rand in your pocket, um, and it would increase the money supply. So the hope is that that extra three or four or five hundred rand in your pocket will go towards you now spending on um, goods and services in the economy. So you're going to go out and uh, buy some winter clothes, um, go out and buy some extra food for winter, um, go out and maybe buy data um, because you you're working or learning from home. So the, the overall objective is to try and ease the burden on, on consumers, uh, especially those that are indebted, but also to stimulate the economy by stimulating spending in the economy. Now, I guess tied to that is, um, you know, part of the purchasing power is uh, the strength of the currency. And I noticed that, uh, you know, uh, for the month at least, it looks like... Uh, uh, the rand is, um, you know, quite uh, quite a bit stronger than it was um, previously. I think right now, you know, just uh, using um, our rates on Friday morning, we have it at uh, 17.83. Uh, so your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so um, on Thursday, it reached around 17.58.59, which was around the level of um, pre-lockdown levels and pre downgrade to junk status levels um, at the end of March, which is, which is quite good, but also it could point to the fact that 
the market had already priced in um, the downgrade junk status for South Africa and maybe most of the depreciation we saw where it moved to uh, 19, around 1926 was mostly because of fears around COVID-19 and specifically around um, the impact on the economy. And I think with South Africa having managed the lockdowns fairly well so far and cases being way lower than expected, um, that positivity now is, is helping strengthen the rand a bit. So we'll, we'll definitely see where it goes as um, COVID cases are starting to increase again. Okay. And then I guess lastly, uh, the housing market, uh, what's going on? We actually had a whole show around, you know, rent and all of that stuff. But uh, the property market as a whole, where are you seeing things going? Well, um, at this stage, I think we're all looking into a glass um that, that, that crystal ball and trying to predict the future. But um, the Reserve Bank is predicting um, a bigger contraction in the economy um, to 7% from around 6%. Um, things are going to get a bit tougher. Uh, we're only really going to see the extent of job losses once the lockdowns lift. Um, over the next couple of months or once we move to the lower levels of the lockdown, level two, level one, where people will be going back to work and seeing whether they still have a job. So with that, um, we've seen some um, um, some analysts in the property sector saying they're expecting to see at least the fall of about 5% in house prices. Um, so we potentially might see another... Um, mini crash um, in, in the housing market, depending again on how deep the recession we're going into will be. And right now it's forecast to be a bigger impact on the more expensive properties. So um, if you're planning to, to shoot a, a rap video, you need to do it quite quickly. So that's been it in terms of our business wrap for today. The last thing that you heard there, if you're planning to shoot a rap video, uh, you know, this might be a good time for you to go and invest in that mansion because our high-end property prices are coming down um, as predicted by uh, the South African Reserve Bank because of a greater economic contraction um, that they are predicting. Uh, so that's uh, Lebo also telling us about, uh, you know, the RAND is, uh, has strengthened. Uh, he's high Highlighting that yesterday it even touched 1758. At the moment, it's at around 1783 as of Friday. Uh, we'll, because it's uh, it's fluctuating, we'll see where that uh, rate is by the time that we talk to you guys next next week. And then just starting the conversation off um, with the, the repo rate because uh, the South African Reserve Bank uh, cutting interest rates again um, for the fir- for the fourth time this year down to 3.75 percent another 50 basis points rate cut so that's been it thank you so much to our financial expert uh, Lebo Pasha who is a business strategist and uh, general manager for Southern Africa at uh, the African Management Institute on the other side of this we get into the state of your 100 rand business rep with Lebo Pasha the Buffalo Index on the business buzz
It's time for us to get into the Buffalo Index as a part of the show. We tell you the state of your 100 rand. What can your 100 rand, what can your Buffalo do for you? So for today, we've spoken previously about uh, what your 100 rand can do for you in the home brewing market. Because up until now, even even though we are in uh, level four uh, of uh, the lockdown, um, the sale of alcohol is still um, not permitted at this time. And what that has resulted in is a burgeoning or a rising uh, black uh, market economy around um, cigarettes and alcohol. Uh, but for today, we're looking specifically at the alcohol or liquor market and, um, you know, just uh, looking at some of the uh, common ones that people, you know, are drinking out there. Uh, I just thought I'd uh, highlight some of the price uh, differences that have come out and some of the inflation, uh, some of the exorbitant prices that are being charged charged out there i'm going to you know try to relate this uh because uh, starting off uh, with hunters uh hunters gold and hunters drive you are looking at for a 440 milliliter bottle um usually that's about 15 rand if you consider that a uh, pack of six is about 90 rand um but uh on the black market you can get it uh for about 100 rand and then um i I honestly think that must be a hundred rand for the pack because it just doesn't make any sense. And then um, the same can be said about uh, Savannah, which uh, each little bottle uh, costs roughly thirteen rand, uh, which means you can get about seven for your buffalo in a normal case. Uh, but uh, at the moment, it seems that uh, that that's gonna set you back on twenty rand. I think that's uh, per bottle. And then uh, Castle Lights, which now uh, normally costs eight rand seventy-five. Uh, you can get about uh, ten or eleven of those um, for your buffaloes in a normal case. Uh, pack of twenty-four normally costs two hundred ten rand, which means uh, on the black market, um, each one is costing about uh, eighty rand, which means you can only get just one and uh, you know just one and a little bit of change for your buffalo. Um, that's how it's looking like um, on that side. Some of the other prices. Uh, coming in uh, all your brown bottles you can only probably get one um one beer or you know for for your buffalo because each one is about 65 rand and then you can get a bottle of uh, heineken um each one is uh, costing about uh, that that one buffalo and then um, you know the the more upmarket stuff your hennessy is about uh, four buffaloes and then you can also get smirnoff for just over a buffalo I am uh, open to correction if some of these, if I've, uh, you know, not uh, contextualized properly whether these are uh, bottle costs or whether these are pack costs, but it sounds like these are single costs uh, because people are taking advantage of the fact that uh, legally people can't go out and buy these things in the shops. And that's the market that has actually um, been created out there. Very crazy, but uh, that's what's going on on the streets, as they say. Let's see what the next few weeks uh, have in store uh, for uh, liquor shop owners, bottle store owners, and uh, whether or not people will be able to start buying alcohol again. So that's been it in terms of the Buffalo Index. On the other side of this, we get into our main topic. The Buffalo Index on the Business Buzz. Mob Justice on the Business Buzz.
Welcome back to the Business Buzz. For today, we are talking about um, understanding um, UIF and some of uh, the COVID-19, uh, you know, relief uh, that's been given as part of uh, the government's uh, plans uh, to just help everyone to cope with the disaster um, that's been uh, brought on by coronavirus and the ensuing economic disaster that's brought about um, by businesses and the economy, not operating at where they are but before we get into that uh, discussion remember that you can keep in touch with us on facebook we are vow fm that's voice of vits and you can also find our other facebook page that is a vits radio academy and then on twitter we're at vow fm and our hashtag is hashtag business buzz so to start things off, uh, we're just going to be talking about uh, uh, some labor policies um, because this, uh, you know, the UIF and uh, the temporary uh, relief has sparked some debate just around um, labor policies. And to help us unpack uh, some of these issues, we are joined uh, by uh, Dr. Michael John Cardo, who is uh, the Shadow Minister of Labor for the Democratic Alliance. Uh, Dr. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, thanks for having me on your show. No, 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 no. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and giving us your time. Um, I think uh, before, you know, things, we, we get too far into the nitty gritties, uh, could you give us an overview of uh, the, the UIF? Uh, just basically as the UIF, what does it actually aim to do? Because we understand what uh, is what is being used for now you know, during this uh, disaster time, but generally what has it um, been put in place for? Sure. Well, the Unemployment Insurance Fund gives relief to workers when they become unemployed or are unable to work because of various reasons, uh, maternity, adoption leave, or illness. Uh, And it also provides relief to the dependents of deceased contributors. So the fund itself is governed by various pieces of legislation, the Unemployment Insurance Act of 2001 and the Unemployment Insurance Contributions Act of 2002. And these acts provide for benefits to which contributors are allowed and the imposition and collection of the contributions to the Unemployment Insurance Fund respectively, and they've been in operation since about 2002. So you can't claim from the Unemployment Insurance Fund if you have resigned, if you've been suspended, or if you've absconded from work, for example. But otherwise, um, all employers and employees contribute to the fund a set amount every month, and uh, in the circumstances which I described previously, you can then claim uh, for benefits on the basis of those contributions. Obviously, this is separate to the COVID-19 TERS benefit, which has been implemented by the Unemployment Insurance Fund since the beginning of our now eight-week lockdown uh, at the end of March. Uh, And that uh, benefit scheme, uh, which companies can uh, apply from in order to cover their workers who are not working during the lockdown, that benefit scheme, which is called the COVID-19 TERS benefit scheme, is separate to the ordinary UIF benefits, which cover um, 
eternity uh, and so forth. I think just zeroing in as a follow-up, just zeroing in on that uh, uh, COVID-19 tourist benefit, uh, you know, I, I, I always find that uh, uh, the, the, the term tourist to be very interesting. I understand it's an acronym, uh, but uh, as, as a policy response, as a policy tool, um, to perhaps help ordinary South Africans cope with the possible loss of income and, you know, um, things like that. How do you feel, um, you know, um, it, it has gone? Like, as was it probably appropriate? These are unprecedented times, we understand, but just from a crafting um, a response point of view, um, how do you feel about the way that um, it was one structured and it's been implemented? Uh, I think it was an important intervention. Uh, the UIF has played a critical role in helping workers through the lockdown, uh, those workers who have lost income or had their income reduced. So I think it was an important and necessary intervention uh, by government. Uh, but remember, there are something like 8 million workers registered on the UIF database and there are about 16 million people who have jobs in South Africa. So many people will fall through the cracks, uh, informal traders, self-employed people who are not registered for UIF. So it's not a silver bullet, uh, and there certainly were very big problems with implementation at first. So for example, when the system was first introduced at the very beginning of lockdown in late March. Uh, there was quite a complicated application process. Uh, it involved sending uh, an email to which you would get an automated reply. The automated reply didn't always come. Uh, the system kept crashing. Uh, so in short, it was very difficult and complicated to apply. Uh, and payments took a long time to be processed. Uh, when companies were paid out, some of their workers were paid, other workers weren't paid, and you couldn't really understand the logic why some had been paid and others hadn't. And it was very difficult to get assistance from the UIF because they, they had a call center which was understaffed. So it was sometimes, oftentimes, in fact, very difficult for employers to get through to anybody to speak to them to understand why their application had been rejected or why they hadn't heard back anything or why certain of their workers hadn't been compensated. Uh, so there were many, many teething problems with implementation at first. Having said that, the application process has now been simplified. Uh, you simply go to a new web portal and everything has been streamlined. It's much easier now and payments are happening much quicker. Clearly, the UIF has bought uh, on board assistance from uh, the SA Revenue Service, for example. Uh, it's increased the number of people working at its call centers. And in short, the process is flowing much smoother. That's not to say it's 100% perfect. I still get loads of WhatsApp messages, emails, phone calls every day from employers who are at the wits end because they haven't heard anything back or because uh, they have put in a claim and they've only received a very small percentage of that claim back and they don't know how to distribute it 
among their workers. So those problems do remain, but in fairness to the Unemployment Insurance Fund, it has jacked itself up. It has improved a great deal since the uh, beginning of the implementation of the COVID-19 TERS benefit, and the people who are working there are doing great work. They're working very hard. They're under a huge amount of pressure, but uh, they are doing their best. The other thing that I think uh, our listeners would benefit getting your thoughts on is, uh, I guess, the development of uh, labor relations or conversations between um, labor government, the private sector, and all that uh, during the crisis, because I think the crisis has you know, been a cocktail <laughs> of, uh, you know, various factors from business rescues to um, tourist benefits that we're talking about right now, the inability to work, um, you know, all of that. How have you seen, um, you know, the development of labor relations during the crisis? And do you see things, you know, starting to thaw or at the moment, or do you anticipate that um, there might be a labor crisis on the horizon? Well, that's a very good and interesting question, and there are a number of ways to answer it. So perhaps I'll hone in on a couple of things. One is that the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdown has created the circumstances for an employment crisis. So we have heard estimates of job losses in the region. At first, it was said about one to two million people would lose their jobs in South Africa. Then National Treasury came out a few weeks ago and said, actually, it's far worse than that. Uh, anywhere between three and seven million jobs could be lost. Now, remember, we have currently in South Africa 10 million unemployed people. And if you add another three to seven million people on top of that, uh, we are going to have an unemployment crisis of epidemic proportions, as it were, on our hands. We already have that crisis, but it's going to be magnified uh, even more so. So, yes, the ingredients certainly exist for a crisis within labor relations uh, between the various social actors, as it were, uh, simply by virtue of the fact that so many people run the risk of becoming unemployed, and that is going to have all sorts of social and economic consequences that will complicate the relationship between uh, labor, uh, organized labor, that is, and business. One of the interesting things for me that has emerged from this crisis to do with the labor relations landscape is that you know, often it was said in the early days that our sort of labor uh, regime, our labor legislation regime was being crafted, that the interests of uh, big business and organized labor were very well reflected, but that the interests of small business were sidelined and ignored. Uh, and it's become very clear to me just by virtue of the number of phone calls and communications of various forms that I get every day from small business people, that they are the ones suffering the most. You know, many big businesses have the reserves to make it through this crisis, but small business people who only employ a few staff members uh, and who don't have the same reserves as big business, 
they are in real trouble. They are the ones who are going to be put out of business uh, because of COVID-19 and because of an extended lockdown. And it's, it's really the interests of these small business people that we should be championing in the labor relations landscape. We should also be championing, of course, the, the rights and the interests of the unemployed. There's a huge focus on South Africa on uh, organized labor, unionized labor, the right to so-called decent work. But we mustn't neglect the 10 million unemployed people that we currently have which might possibly soon swell to 13 to 17 million unemployed people. So we must always bear in mind when we're talking about labor relations and the relationships between business and labor, that we must look out uh, not just for people who currently have a job, as important as that is and as important as workers' rights are, but we must also look out for the interests of unemployed people uh, because there are going to be a great number of them by the time that COVID-19 and the lockdown are over. Um, perhaps to round up the discussion, um, as the Democratic Alliance, how have you seen your own um, labor policies perhaps develop or evolve, you know, due to the crisis? Have they um, changed in any way? Because, for example, um, I understand that uh, the DA had actually proposed a policy um, where, you know, provisionally employers and employees should um, should half their um, one the one percent um, UIF contributions to let's say zero point five. You know issues like that. Um, have you found yourselves, uh, I guess, adapting your policies or perhaps looking and using this crisis as a way to you know maybe fine tune or rethink um, some of your proposed policies around labour? Uh, certainly we have. Look, on the UIF contributions at the beginning of the lockdown, we called for a payment holiday on those contributions, and that was agreed to by the government for a period of three months. But to answer your question more broadly is that, obviously, and I do hate this cliche, uh, and politicians use it all the time, they say that it can't be business as usual, but there is some truth in that, because COVID-19 uh, is by its very nature going to change the way that we have to approach economic policy broadly and labor policy in particular. Uh, so there, there needs to be a reset and we need to think creatively and differently about how we get people into employment. So from that point of view, yes, the DA's thinking on labor policy is adapting and changing and will necessarily be shaped by the course of uh, COVID-19 and the consequences of the lockdown. We'll have to respond to that, be reactive, but also proactive and think of ways, new ways of getting people into employment. Just on your specific question about that proposal on uh, reducing contributions, that was an idea put forward by the DA in the run-up to the 2014 election. And some history is necessary to understand that proposal. At that stage, we're talking six or seven years ago, the UIF had built up huge surpluses and it had about 115 billion rand in assets at the time. Uh, so benefit payments at the time 
equaled an average of just 43% of contributions. And so the UIF built up a substantial surplus from the early 2000s. So the idea then was that if you um, cut or provisionally halve the contributions made by both employers and employees from 1% to a half percent, Uh, that would have had the overall effect of reducing the cost of hiring workers. Uh, It would have stimulated the economy by increasing the net wages of workers uh, and increasing their spending power because they would have taken more money home at the end of the day. Uh, They would have had more out of their paychecks if that UIF contribution had been halved. And I think our thinking at the time the DA's thinking that is, was that the fiscal risk of this proposal could be mitigated by reinstating the, the 1% contribution uh, determined by the IF if the capital base uh, contracted beyond a, a certain benchmark. Um, anyway, that proposal is now six years old, and of course COVID-19 has completely overturned the, uh, the landscape as it were, and we would need to rethink um, such a proposal going forward. Uh, The IF, I think, currently has around about 120 billion rand in reserves. Look, it's a bit of a moving target. Um, The number went down pretty dramatically after the ratings downgrade, and because the markets have been so volatile and unstable of late, um, the figure changes all the time. But uh, we would need to be careful about any new and far-reaching such proposals because if three to seven million people are going to become unemployed, then whatever um, UIF has in reserves at the moment is going to dwindle pretty quickly. Uh, So we just need to uh, cast a careful eye over that. Okay, so that's been us in conversation with uh, Dr. Michael John Cardo, who is the Shadow Minister for Labour uh, for the Democratic uh, Alliance, uh, just giving us a roundup of uh, some of the conversations around um, Labour in South Africa as brought on by uh, the COVID-19 crisis. He's just um, starting off by giving us just an explanation of what UIF is and uh, its intended purpose and how it's been uh, used um, as a way to assist people during uh, this crisis. Um, he's just highlighting, though, that uh, the COVID-19 temporary employee-employer relief scheme is separate um, to what UIF is um, is traditionally meant for, uh, but it's been used as a as a tool to give people some type of uh, some type of ways to cope um, with the depressed economic activity at this time. And he's also just telling us about how some of their policies and policy proposals have uh, um, perhaps evolved and changed because of um, what's going on with the crisis. So thank you so much. That was us with Dr. Michael Cardo. So on the other side of this, we continue with the show and uh, we're going to be talking to um, some law experts about uh, some of these uh, some of these labor issues. So definitely make sure you don't turn that dial. Keep it locked. This is The Business Buzz. You're tuned in to the business bus. 
Welcome back to the business buzz. We are talking about, uh, you know, UIF. We're talking about uh, some of the tourist benefits, uh, but more than anything else, labor laws, labor relations uh, during um, this lockdown period, just highlighting um, some of those issues because of, uh, you know, the coronavirus. And right now we want to switch over. We're talking to, um, we're talking to uh, Dr. Cardo uh, from the DA about, uh, you know, labor policy and the discussions and how our labor relations have evolved over the crisis. But right now we want to turn our attention uh, to labor laws and uh, some of the issues around UIF claims and stuff like that. Uh, but before we get into that part of the discussion, remember that you can find our Facebook page that is VowFM or Voice of Vits. You can also find our other Facebook page that is Vits Radio Academy. And then on Twitter, we're at VowFM and our hashtag is hashtag business buzz. So to help us unpack uh, the law side of things, we are joined by uh, Dumisan Indiweni, who has experience uh, prosecuting uh, disciplinary hearings, drafting uh, pleadings and various applications, um, and conducting trials in uh, the labor court, uh, labor court and labor appeal courts. Uh, he also drafts employment contracts and conducts due diligence investigations and provides advice on uh, restraints of trade um, agreements. So so, yeah, this is uh, Dumisani Ndiweni, and he is an associate at uh, Weber Wenzel. Uh, Dumisani, hi, how are you? Are you well? And uh, can you just uh, uh, let our listeners know, uh, you know, what uh, your role uh, in the legal fraternity entails? Hi, how's it? Thanks for having me online, and greetings to all your listeners as well. I mean, we... Uh in the employment space at Weber Wenzel, we deal with anything employment, basically. So anything employment, we are able to assist, um, particularly for employers uh, who have any mass issues and for general employees at some stages. Okay. Now, this UIF issue has become quite a big um, talking point in the last month or so, I think particularly uh, because it's uh, the conduit through which government is giving um, the COVID-19 temporary employee-employer uh, relief scheme benefits through. Um, but, you know, just stepping back, um, is UIF a legal right for, you know, for every employee in the country or are there eligibility, uh, eligibility uh, criteria that are involved that need to be followed, you know, stuff like that? What does it actually entail? Look, I think, I think for purposes of this conversation and in light of COVID happening, we need to distinguish between UIF and TERS. So UIF in its normal sense outside TERS uh, isn't is, is a facility which is available to almost everybody. Uh, there are conditions such as you have to be a contributing member to UIF or a contributing individual to UIF to qualify. And like any other any other any other uh, insurance fund, it's regulated through an act. The act is the Unemployment Insurance Act. There's obviously limitations within that uh, on who 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 applies and who doesn't who applies and who qualifies. But in terms of COVID, you have what you now know as, you've probably heard the term TERS. TERS actually is the Temporary Employment Relief Scheme, Employer Relief Scheme, rather. And it, it, it is for employers who, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, are forced to temporarily close operations wholly or partly. 
um, for a period of three months or less. And if employees are affected by such closure, they will qualify for TERS. So if, in short, if your business is closing or partially closing, as an employee, you can qualify for TERS. I mean, there's pertinent criteria, which is also applicable to TERS, where the employer must have registered with the UIF, the employer must comply with the application procedure, and the employer's closure of business and operations must be directly linked to COVID. So those are the people who would qualify under the TERS. And then um, all of that, uh, just stepping back, because I think if we address UIF first, like you said, there needs to be a distinction between the between the two of them. Um, just UIF on its own, because I think um, some people it's become a relevant thing because um, a lot of employers have had to lay off people. There's been a lot of business closures, so a lot of people have started turning to it. Um, what does it actually take to successfully apply uh, for a UIF benefit in the normal instance where you've either lost your job or um, a company has closed down, you know, stuff like that? So, I mean, at the top of my head, you will need to provide your, your, your ID number uh, and an ID copy, your, your, your normal details, so such as your name, your surname, where you are employed and proof that uh, you are no longer employed. Uh, you'll also need to fill out a form where you 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 you, you upload you basically insert your, your your banking details, and there's another form called the UI19 forms. All of these forms are accessible on the website and uh, at uh, different labour centres. And then one of the big issues that's then come up is that there are companies that have been. Um, claiming that they are under financial strain due to lockdowns and stuff like that, but have not uh, paid their employees, but have continued to deduct UIF fees. You know, is this legal and how do employees actually mitigate um, some of these issues? You see, this is, it's, it, sounds, it sounds a bit off because UIF is deducted off a person's salary or wages whatever whatever the case may be but it's it's deducted off a person's income and if an employee is not receiving an income the employer technically can't deduct uif because there's no income to deduct uif from so if an employer if 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 an employer receives remuneration uif is payable but if an employer doesn't receive no, not an employer, rather, sorry, an employee. If an employee receives remuneration, UIF is deductible. But in circumstances where an employee does not receive UI, uh, does not receive an income, UIF is then not deductible. Okay. I think for me, one of the most topical issues when it comes to this is just the legalities around who contributes and who doesn't contribute because... I think a lot of people have, uh, through the crisis and through either being laid off and and uh, some of those issues, found out during that process that the employer actually doesn't contribute um, to to UIF. Is there anything on that end um, legally that requires employers to contribute towards UIF or is it just a completely um, hands-off uh, from the government voluntary process from employers to to contribute on that on that front? 
No, I mean, there is a legal obligation on, on, on employers to contribute to the UIF because they actually ought to be deducting it off their employees' pay and then sending the money over over off into the UIF. Um, if, if employees then find out that when it comes to claim stage that they have not been registered with the UIF, that's now a scenario where the UIF, through its labor inspectors and the Department of Labor, uh, institutes investigations and, and try to ascertain as to why the employer has not been um, uh, registering the employees or why the employer has not been transferring the funds to the UIF. And that's a whole investigation process which the Department of Labor and the UIF jointly run together. And then the other one related to that, um, from your experience, uh, I guess, dealing with dealing in the sector, what do you find are some of the common um, issues, the challenges that people often face um, when it comes to UIF, you know, in its normal sense? Look, um, the fact of the matter is uh, the UIF, the UIF is literally like a pot of money and a number of people employ uh, uh, apply to try and receive these funds. So sometimes it's a, it's a matter of the demand is a bit too high and the UIF has a slightly slower turnaround time. But of late, the UIF, if your documents are in order, if uh, you follow the right process online and you've applied or you've gone to the labor center and they've assisted you accordingly, you would be able to qualify and receive your payments. I want to switch back, uh, I guess, now that we've, you know, laid some, you know, foundation work on UIF um, in its normal sense, uh, to then switch over to the TERS, which you said is uh, completely separate. Um, what are some of the issues that uh, that have, I guess, arisen because of that? We've heard, you know, May applications haven't opened, some employers haven't paid, some employees don't know whether or not they can uh, apply for themselves uh, for that particular benefit. Some people wonder, you know, do they need to have been contributing to to UIF? Um, all of this time for them to get the tourist benefit, is it separate? Um, you know, so from where your vantage point, you know, where are people here in this in this discussion? Yeah, look, we need to understand that the TERS, uh, the TERS benefit was a benefit which just arose out of the unprecedented, unprecedented times of COVID-19. So they naturally would be glitches into the, in the system in as much as we would not want the glitches to be there, but there will be glitches. And a lot of um, companies will get found out, particularly those employers who haven't registered with the UIF, those employers who don't have the correct documentation for their employees, those employers who haven't transferred funds to UIF. So a lot of them will be found out. But in short, the biggest issue is it's a demand issue. Uh, there's a number of people who are trying to access the TILIS, and uh, the fear obviously will be that at some stage that the funding might not be readily available to uh, ensure that the people who apply um, or the employees rather that apply can't uh, uh, won't be able to access the funds timelessly. Also, the second thing is a number of employers are simply not assisting their employees in applying for TERS. However, there's been an amendment to in the manner in which this uh, the, the applications can be done. Individuals can now also themselves approach the UIF and apply for the TERS benefits in their own capacity. 
Oh, I see. I think that one was a very big, uh, you know, point of confusion for a lot of people just around, you know, who can and who cannot. Um, the last one on this uh, issue of uh, the issue of tours going forward, how sustainable is it? I guess just from your point of view, like for how long can the state be dishing out um, some of these benefits before? Like, because I think you said earlier on that uh, the UIF, on its own is is like a pot of money and then now you've got TERS which is separate uh, which is probably another pot of money um, is and I think that one sounds to me because of the number of people that are likely to use it uh, would have a much shorter uh, time frame uh, through which it can actually be used I mean you need to understand as well that uh, in terms of TERS there's a limit uh, the, 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 there's there's limits in terms of how much you can actually claim from TERS. Uh, there's usually there, there, there's what you call a percentage sliding a sliding scale of 38 to 60 percent. So the minimum benefit an employee can actually um, get from TERS is 3,500 rand, and the maximum benefit is approximately 6,700 rand. So that's the minimum, the max uh, you can get, and that's calculated through the UIF calculator. Um, calculating on the basis that the maximum revenue, uh, the, the maximum income a person gets is seventeen thousand seven hundred twelve rand. If you speak about how far the fund can actually run, I cannot give you an answer now. Uh, that's an answer which would sit with uh, w w with the actual commissioners at the time. But also, depending on how long this COVID pandemic is going to run for, we're not sure. Um, and naturally, I mean, if there's a limit in terms of the money available, they might or we can anticipate that at some stage, um, some claims might not uh, be able to, to, to be retrieved timelessly. Okay. And then finally, I'm going to ask you a question that we asked our previous guest. And I think um, given everything that's happened economically and because of the lockdown, I think it's quite topical. Uh, just being um, involved in the labor space, uh, what are some of the big issues? Because I think we've spoken quite extensively about UIF, now about TERS. But in the greater and broader labor space, what are some of the conversations that are that are being had um, as a result of this? We've seen companies folding, you know, all of these issues. Like what are some of the big uh, labor issues that you're seeing right now? I mean, look, uh, companies companies are not generating uh, income, and if they are generating income, they might not be generating income at the levels to s sustain them. So naturally, the concept of the conversations of retrenchment arises. Uh, other, preferably, what uh, employers should be looking at doing is considering alternative means to to avoid concepts of no work and no pay. Um, so. Uh, the, the whole concept of no of, of of no work, no pay, and retrenchment is 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 is, is brewing in the industries a lot. However, we always advise employers to try and consider alternatives to retrenching and to the principle of no work, no pay. It's 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 a very difficult uh, time for everybody, but they could consider things such as pay cuts. Um, such as reduced working hours. Obviously, that agreement will need to be reached with the employees, and the employer cannot unilaterally just apply that. 
But I mean, in circumstances where employee, where the employer can't afford to keep so many employees on the book, uh, employees generally tend to demonstrate a willingness to consider alternatives and to accept alternatives with the employer. So that's where the labor market is sitting at right now. Okay. So that's been it's a very interesting uh, discussion uh, with uh, Dumisani Diweni, who is an associate at law firm Weber Wenzel. Um, he is a specialist with experience in the labor uh, labor court and labor appeal court, um, giving us a rundown of uh, you know the UIF um, in its normal form, talking about the issues that have tended to arise. Um, you know which type of employers or who's um, who who is eligible. Um, to benefit from it and who is not and uh, some of the contributions that are able to make uh, from that side and then he went on to explain um, the TERS or the Temporary Employee Employer Relief Scheme uh, that's been instituted by the government and then just end all, ending off by giving us uh, some of the to- some of the topical um, labor discussions that are being had um, particularly around companies that aren't able to generate revenues and perhaps um, coming up with uh, alternatives to retrenchment such as maybe pay cuts and uh, stuff like that just so that jobs can be protected. So thank you so much uh, to Dumisani. Um, That's been it for this part of the show. On the other side of this, we come to the end of the business buzz. You don't have to be a liker to like things. So like us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. And follow them in brackets voice of this. The Business Buzz. So that's been it for today's edition of The Business Buzz. Thank you so much to everyone who was listening. Thank you to uh, Dumisani and uh, Dr. Cardo for sharing their insights with us around uh, UIF and uh, the developing um, labor relations and employment um, conversations that are being had uh, at this time. Um, For me personally, I think uh, these are necessary conversations um, given the fact that these are things that touch um, on a lot of people's lives. Um, UIF, I'm sure, is something that uh, a lot of people never thought they would have to acquaint themselves with. But uh, given uh, the depressed uh, state of uh, companies at the moment, the economy and uh, the rising rate of uh, job losses, um, you heard some estimates there about uh, job losses uh, rising from 10 to maybe 13, um, if not 14 or 15 million, um, just based on what's been going on in the last couple of months, uh, given the lockdown and stuff like that so definitely important issues and definitely something that we as the business buzz are going to try by all means to follow up because it's an important issue also just uh, the clarity just around how people claim and um, we do what the processes are uh, we're going to try and get uh, more voices for you guys so that's been it for today's show don't forget that you can find and follow our uh, voice of vits uh, 88.1 on social media uh, you can find us as voice of vits or Vow FM on Facebook. That's our page. You can also find our other page that is uh, Vits Radio Academy on Twitter. We're at Vow FM, and then our hashtag is hashtag Business Buzz. You can also search for our podcast on Iono.fm. Uh, all the links are available there. Otherwise, you can alternatively find us on vits.journalism.co.za 
forward slash business so with that we've reached uh, the end of tonight's show thank you to our technical producer and our amazing team uh, that's a kotlano serami together with our executive producer glory mabusa and our producer slindle musibi don't miss the business by same time same place next week for more insight into the world of business don't turn that down. There's more great content coming up on the Val FM lineup. So for myself, Mdio Mob Justice Gavaza and the rest of the team, it is Take Care. Mob Justice on the Business Buzz. The Business Buzz Podcast.